Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you took the time to listen to this message. We think it's going to encourage and inspire you. So whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back, relax. Here it is. Hey, good morning, church. Thank you guys so much for being here. Hey, if you're watching online, we love you. Uh, For those who are watching here in the building, we love you. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, no matter where you're watching this, one thing remains true. We want to hear from you. So can you just make some noise? If you're in the building, make some noise. If you're online in the comments, just give us the clappy emojis. Just say hello. We want to hear from you. We're so glad that you could be here this morning. Hey, we're super excited for what's going to happen for the next number of weeks here. Um, if you are someone that considers yourself a kingdom church person, one thing that you'll know is that we like to preach in sermon series. Um, but every once in a while, we take a break from sermon series and we just preach individual messages, kind of just to go where God is leading. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to be preaching individual messages. And so we're just super excited uh, for what God wants to speak to us. I'm excited for the word he has for us this morning. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 10. It's going to be on the screen right here so you can read along. Mark chapter 10 says this. It's a story, and it's going to set the backdrop of everything we're doing this morning. Mark 10 says this. It says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. But you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Have you guys ever read a story or watched a movie, and by the end of it, you were just kind of confused, and uh, you just said something, and you said this statement, uh, I don't get it. Anyone ever said that? I don't get it. The title of our message this morning is, I don't get it. You know, I remember uh, when I first switched uh, my degree when I was in school, I was studying psychology and I switched my degree to theology and uh, kind of just studying to enter into ministry. And I'll never forget, I had this conversation with one of my friends from high school after I decided to switch my degree. And uh, in this conversation, uh, I was just kind of telling him the process that I went through and why I felt like this is where uh, God was kind of leading me to go. And so I was telling the story of how I felt like I was called. And in the midst of the story, um, I said to him, I said, and yeah, at that moment, I just sort of felt God speak to me. And I remember my friend, he stopped me and he said, whoa, 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 whoa. And you need to understand this. My friend, we went to high school together. He wasn't a Christian. He didn't have any background in church. And when I was in high school, uh, I was not on the pastoral track, if you know what I'm saying. Come on, somebody. And so this is a great shock to everyone. But uh, I'm telling the story, and I say, man, I felt like God spoke to me. And And then he stopped, and he said, well, let me stop you right there. He said, what do you mean you felt like God spoke to you? 
you're talking about like, like a voice in the sky, like Mufasa in Lion King, like just a voice in, in the clouds. And I was like, no, like not like that. It's just more like, you know, like a feeling uh, or an impression. Like I just, I felt like God kind of spoke to me. And uh, it's funny because up until that moment, I had always told that story to Christian people. And when I told that story to Christian people, their response was something along the lines of like, amen, like I'm so glad that God spoke to you. But my friend who had no context with church, when I said that God spoke to me, he said something that I won't forget. He said, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't understand what you're saying. And I remember in that moment, I kind of had this aha moment. Because up until that time, I sort of had this idea that one of the reasons that people didn't follow God was because a lot of people just don't like God. They don't like Jesus. They don't like church people. They don't like Christians. But I remember in that moment, I kind of had this thought and I had this realization. And I was like, what if the reason that people don't like God, the people that don't uh, follow God, people don't go to church, what if the reason wasn't so much that they didn't like God or they had something against him? I just began to wonder, what if people just didn't get it? What if they just didn't understand it? And so from that moment on, I just had this clear conviction that if whenever I spoke, whenever I shared about Jesus, I would do anything in my power to make sure that if anyone heard my words and I was talking about Jesus, I wanted to make sure that they would get it. And so everything that I have done moving forward, that, that is in the culture and in the DNA of Kingdom Church. We want people to understand Jesus. We want people to get it. And the reason I want people to get it is I just have this belief inside of me that if people understood who Jesus was and what he did, it would change everything. What if people just didn't get it? What's been funny, though, is I've been a pastor. I've been in ministry for a number of years now. What I've seen is I kind of expected people outside the church that they wouldn't get it. But one thing that I've seen and one thing that kind of shocked me is that oftentimes, and in just a large number of people that have never been in church, are people that have been in church, people that have grown up in church, but they still don't fully understand Jesus and what he's done for them and who he is. And it's kind of confusing because how could you be around church people? How could you be around Christians? How could you hear sermon after sermon and not get it? But one thing I've seen even in my life, the more I strive after Jesus, the more I just try to figure out who he is, what is his character like. One thing I've seen over and over again is that Jesus is actually better than I thought he was. And the more I strive after Jesus, I look back sometimes at where I was three, four, five years ago. And at that point, I thought I loved Jesus. But I look back and I'm like, man, I wonder if I even got it. Did I understand? Even me. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to preach a very clear gospel message. I want to portray exactly who Jesus is in the best way I possibly can. And understand this, it still might be flawed because I'm flawed, but I want to describe Jesus in the best way I possibly can because I just believe if we can understand who he is, it could change everything. And so what I want to do is I want to look at a story in the Bible. And if I'm being completely honest, it's a story that I've read it before, I've read it many times, but for the longest time, I just didn't get it. 
And so I want to go through this story today. We read it off the top, and before we get back into it, I'll give us a little context. But one of the reasons I chose this story and I want to go through it this morning is because I believe that within this story, it gives a very clear picture of who Jesus is. Now, there are many passages that I could, I could share, many texts that explain the work of Jesus, what, what he's done for us, what salvation means. But the reason that I want to look at this story is not only does it bring forth who Jesus is, but it actually shows us a false narrative, listen to this, that many of us actually have when it comes to Jesus. It's a picture that's not true, but so many of us actually have. And so that's the reason I want to go through this story. So we're in Mark chapter 10. This is found in the New Testament. It's one of the four Gospels. And in this story specifically, it's told in three out of the four Gospels. Gospel is a fancy word for the books in the Bible all about Jesus. And so through the three of the four Gospels, we get one story. And all the stories together have very similar details. But we're looking at Mark's. And in Mark chapter 10, where we pick it up, Jesus has been teaching and preaching. And it says this, after he had finished, Jesus just started on his way when a man ran up to him and he fell on his knees. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You see, one thing we need to understand is that when Jesus spoke, people listened. When Jesus spoke, people flocked to him because he spoke in a way. He had an authority like people had never seen before. And so there was this natural attraction to him. And so for us, we know that Jesus is the son of God. We know that he is God incarnate. And so it's kind of, it makes sense that people were attracted to him. But in this story, what we find out is that the man that has come to the feet of Jesus is a man that was known as a rich, young ruler. Those are the three things we know about him. He's rich, he's young, and he's a ruler. He's got the proper age, he has power, and he has prestige. Some of us like hashtag goals. Some single ladies like, where's my rich young ruler? Come on, somebody. And and so this is who this guy is. And so he has all of these things. But what happens is he runs up to Jesus. And the Bible says he falls on his knees. This is an act of desperation. Keep this in mind. How how could a guy that seemingly had everything be so desperate? Could it be that he had everything, but he still lacked something? And so he runs up to Jesus, and he falls on his knees. And and he comes, and, and he seemingly has a good question, right? He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This teacher has authority. He, he's speaking. He's spitting. And so it kind of seems like a good question. Like, yo, I want to get to heaven. What do I have to do? You see, what I want to do this morning is I want to unpack and uncover who Jesus is. And I believe one of the ways that we can unpack and understand who Jesus is or really understand it and unpack anything will start with the questions that we ask. But here's the thing. If we ask the wrong questions, we will get the wrong answers. And so in this story, we need to understand this. The rich young ruler is asking the wrong question. For for so many of us, one of the reasons that we don't understand who Jesus is is because we ask the wrong questions. Now, Now, some of us are like, well, what do you mean the wrong question? Like, what did he do wrong here? It seems like a good question. 
But here's what I want us to understand. Have you guys ever tried to get information out of someone and you couldn't? I'll tell you this right now. The reason you can't get information out of someone is because you're asking the wrong questions. And so this person wants to get information out of Jesus, but he's asking the wrong question. And this is important to know because it sets the whole backdrop for what's about to happen. You see, because this rich young ruler asks the wrong question, the answer that Jesus gives him, Jesus is only answering the question that the ruler asks. I need us to understand this. You see, Jesus' intention, listen to this, is not to give him an answer to the right question, but to give him an answer to his question. I need us to follow this. And so let's go back to the verse for a second. He says this. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I've said this before seconds ago that this is the wrong question. And the reason that we know it's the wrong question is from the answer that Jesus gives. And we're going to get to his answer in a second. But I'll kind of give us a little preview of why this is the wrong question. The wrong question is right here. It's when he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a flawed question. Why? The reason the question is flawed is because this rich young ruler is assuming, listen to this, that there is something that I can do to be saved. He's assuming I'm saved by what I do. Everyone following? The reason he's asking Jesus, what must I do, is because he has the assumption that I'm saved based on what I do. And so everything that Jesus says afterwards is going off of his assumption. The rich young ruler's assumption says, I'm saved by what I do. Now, whether we know this or not, this is the worldview that many of us live by, both inside and outside the church. It's a worldview that says everything that's happening in my life, good or bad, will be as a result of what I do. My my power is going to come from me. My prestige is going to come from me. And so this rich young ruler, he's taking that into every aspect of his life. And he says, therefore, my salvation must also come from me. Look what Jesus says. Verse 18, he says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, we need to understand this. Jesus is God. But in this moment, the man doesn't know this. And for the purpose of what Jesus is trying to explain, it doesn't really matter. You see, what Jesus is trying to do is Jesus is trying to get his notion out of his head that there is such thing as a good person. Because if there is actually such thing as a good person, then that is the standard for which you are trying to achieve. And so what Jesus is saying, he's saying only God is good. In other words, God is the standard. And if God is the standard, what that means is that for us as human beings, it's a standard that we cannot achieve. Yet so many of us strive after this. So many of us have a picture of God that says, what I do, God's acceptance of me is based on how good I am. And this is both inside and outside of the church. Outside of the church, it's this. It's like, well, why would I need to go to church? Why would I need to pray to a God? I'm a pretty good person by myself. You guys ever heard this? It's like, in fact, I'm actually better than some Christians that go to church. I'm pretty good. 
inside the church, a lot of times it's no different. And whether we know it or not, we have a belief of God that is based on his, his acceptance of us is based on how good we are. You want to know how I know this is true even inside the church? It's because we ask questions like this. Well, you know what? I have friends that don't believe, but they're generally good people. So how could they not go to heaven? In fact, I have friends that are better people than me. How could they be outside of heaven? How could they not have eternal life? But the question, what must I do to attain, to inherit eternal life is based on a false premise that there is actually something you can do. And so what Jesus is doing, he's trying to dismantle this idea of good. Because if God is the only one that is good, what that means is that he is the only one. He is the only standard. We can't get there. For those of us that have grown up with religiosity, have grown up in religion, you know the toll it takes on you when you try to get there when you try to be perfect, when you try not to mess up. But what Jesus is saying, he's saying no one is good. No one is good. We all fall short. That's why he asked the wrong question. What must I do? Jesus says, listen, no one's good enough. But what happens the rest of this time, Jesus answers the question based on the premise that you get to heaven as a result of what you do. Continues to follow this. And so, and he, so he continues, Jesus continues, because the man says, you know what? Um, Jesus says, no one is good, but you want salvation? Sure. Keep the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, All of these things I have kept since I was a boy. And as I read this, I can almost see this young ruler's face kind of light up because he was a Jewish man. And for a Jewish person, their life revolved around the Torah. It revolved around the law. And so he would know what Jesus is doing. He's quoting the second half of the Ten Commandments. And so he's saying, okay, you want to inherit eternal life? Just follow the commandments. Simple. And so the ruler's like, yes, I've been doing that my entire life. I've kept all of these. But has he really? In our lives, because some of us are like, wait, I think I've, have we really? Let's go through this for 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 the sake of the rich young ruler. Thou shall not commit murder. Let's go back for a second. Okay, we'll assume he's never killed anyone. You shall not commit adultery. He's never had an affair sure, we'll give the rich young ruler the benefit of the doubt. He's never stolen. Maybe. You shall not give false testimony. In other words, you've never lied. He's never lied. You shall not defraud. He's never spoken badly about someone. He's never looked down on someone. Honor your father and mother. You see, when you go through all of these, and as you go through all these at home, Chances are you didn't make it past number three. Some of us, you didn't make it past number two. If you didn't make it past number one, thou shalt not murder, we'll talk. But the reality is each and every one of us has broken these at some point. And so the fact that he said, I've kept all of these since I was a boy, it's not really a full truth. It's not a full truth. I've done all that. I've kept these since I was a boy. Look what happens next. 
Jesus says, he looks at him, because the young ruler, he's, he's full of energy. I've done all these things. Because in his head, he's like, maybe salvation's at my grip. Jesus looked at him, and he loved him. He looked at him, and he loved him. Now, what that means is that Jesus looked at him, and he had compassion on him. Why did he have compassion on him? The reason he had compassion for the rich young ruler is because this was someone that seemingly had everything, yet he was so desperate for what only God could give. Because although he had everything, he realized he had nothing. And so Jesus looks at him and he loves him. But I think one of the reasons that Jesus felt compassion for him is because although he wanted what was good, what God had for him, he was going about it the wrong way. He was going about it the way he had gone about the rest of his life. Because in his life, everything that came to him was a result of what he did. His power was because of what he did. His prestige was because of what he did. And so he has the notion, my salvation must be the same thing. Where I stand with God must be the same thing. It's going to be about how much I put in. It's going to be about how much work I do. It's going to be about me. Listen, the ruler had this idea that salvation was related to him. But here's the reality, and this is what God is trying to put forward and what he's going to put forward in this word, is that my worth is not related to my work. My, my worth is not related to my work. Because here's the reality, the, the, the way in which our society goes, how we are living right here, right now, so many of us have this in common with the rich young ruler, but we don't see it. We live in such a way where our value, our worth is based on what we do. How do I know this true? What's the very first thing you ask someone when you meet them? Well, what do you do? What do we ask a six-year-old? What do you want to be when you grow up. And we ask six-year-olds, yet most 21-year-olds don't know the answer, yet we still ask it. It's because we live in a society, listen, where our worth is based on our work. What do you do? You see, we've built this society that says who you are is a result of what you do. And so what happens is we live our lives in every aspect like that and so what happens is that it creeps into our Christianity. Because if you live life in a way where every good thing is a result of you, your, your relationship with God has to be the same way. Well, it's going to be me. It's going to be me. It's going to be me. But this is where the idea of judgmental Christianity comes from. Because if you are a Christian that believes that you are where you are because of what you've done, you have no choice but to be puffed up. You have no choice but to believe it's all on you. But what God wants us to see this morning is that our worth is not based on our works. Listen to this. What if instead, come on, for, for, for little kids, what if instead of asking, what do you want to be when you grow up? What if we began to ask people, who do you want to be? Who do you, you see, I, I'm a pastor and I love being a pastor. I love preaching. I love teaching all those good things. But the reality is that's my job. That's my vocation, but it's not who I am. It's not who I am. I'm more than a pastor. Because if my identity was based on this, what I do, if I didn't have this, if I wasn't doing this, I would have no worth. 
And for so many of us, we live in a way where we're chasing after something to give us worth, whether it's a person, whether it's a job. And you've got there, and you realize when you went there, it was actually empty. Because worth never comes with works. It's the same thing. You've been trying to make yourself look good for God. Well, if I just act a little bit better, if I just do this, if I just do this, what must I do? And what happens, that's a lot of pressure. Because everything falls on your shoulder. Your salvation falls on your shoulder. I'm not sure if if you ever felt this before, but if you felt like what you do is going to determine if you are saved or not, that's a lot of pressure. My worth is not based on my works. And so what happens is that this rich young ruler had derived this premise that says, I'm saved by what I do. And so Jesus goes along and he says, okay, well, keep all these commandments. And as we've seen, you can't. But the rich young ruler... He says, I've done it all. And so Jesus goes, okay, I'm going I'm to continue on with the premise. And so Jesus says, okay. Again, it says he looked at him and he loved him. But he says, one thing you lack. Go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And then you will have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. And he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, for the longest time, because I told you guys off the top, I didn't understand this story. And the reason I didn't understand it is because I thought what it was saying is that in order to follow Jesus, you had to sell everything. But when we understand the broader context, when we understand the broader picture of what this whole story is about, that's actually not what Jesus is saying at all. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying there isn't sacrifice to follow Jesus. I'm not saying we don't serve any of those things. But the bigger premise of what Jesus is trying to paint here is what it takes to be saved. And so for this man, sure, he kept all the commandments. But the reason that Jesus goes to money is because Jesus is God and God knows everything. And Jesus knows where this man's heart is. And his treasures are with his money. And so Jesus says, all right, you want to inherit eternal life? Give everything away. Every dime you have and come and follow me. Come and follow me. You see, the reality of why Jesus asks this is not even for him to give away his money. It's so Jesus can show this man that each and every one of us have a tipping point. If you've ever tried to be perfect, if you've ever tried to live a life where everything was based on you, every single one of us has a tipping point. It's a point where we say, I can't do this anymore. And for this rich young ruler, it was money. He says, I can't give that up. I just can't. But that's the point. That's the point that Jesus is trying to to put across. Because he's trying to get rid of this premise that there is something that you can do to be saved. When the reality is, each and every one of us have a point where we crack. We have a point where we realize, man, I'm not good enough. But this is so funny because we live in this culture of perfectionism. We live in this culture where everything that I have have is because of me. And we live in this culture without grace. Because we all strive to be good people. We live in the cancel culture. You guys know cancel culture? Cancel culture says, I tweeted something when I was 14. I'm 35 now. 
but I need to be canceled because of what happened 20 years ago. And understand this, I'm not saying that everything that people did in the past was okay and should be forgiven and forgotten. But the reality is we live in this culture that says, if you make one mistake, you should be canceled. If you mess up once, you belong on my Instagram story. I need to put you on blast so everyone can see how bad you are. But the reality with cancel culture is that cancel culture works in the opposite reality of what each and every one of us know to be true. And what each and every one of us know to be true is that when we look in the mirror, we realize who we are. And we realize no matter what front we put on, we are messed up. We are broken. We are not good enough. And the beauty of Jesus is that Jesus knows our humanity. And so salvation could not come based on what we do because there's nothing that we could do. Because we're all flawed. Because we're all messed up. And this is the point that Jesus is trying to show. Look what he says next. It says the disciples were amazed at his words. And Jesus said, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed. And they said to each other, hold up. Who then can be saved? Now, there's a lot of debate about what the, the eye of the needle was. Was it a, a gate at the, begin, at the temple in Jerusalem? But most scholars believe the eye of a needle is what you and I both know an eye of a needle is. It's the point of the needle where the thread goes through. And so what Jesus is saying, listen to this. He's saying, it will be easier for a camel to go through that small hole than for someone to be saved who's rich. You want to know what he's saying? He's saying it's impossible. That's why, go back, go back, go back. Too, too fast, calm down. For someone to enter and so the disciples, it says, they were amazed. They were even more amazed. Why were they amazed? Because Jesus is literally saying, this person cannot be saved. And so a lot of people read this story and they think to themselves, oh my gosh, it's impossible to be saved. No one can go to heaven. No one's good enough. Still too soon. But the reality of what Jesus is saying, we need to understand the premise of the whole thing, the whole answer that Jesus gives is based around the fact that he asked the wrong question. He asked a question of how can I save myself? And so everything that Jesus is doing, he's doing it to show the people, to show the whole crowd, to show the rich young ruler, it's your time to shine, it is impossible to save yourself. It's impossible to save yourself. The disciples say, who then can be saved? Now, for a lot of us, we see this. It's impossible to save yourself, and that seems bleak. That, that, that seems hopeless. But listen, here's the beauty of Jesus. I told you at the front, I want you to have the clearest picture of Jesus. The beauty of this saying, it's impossible to save yourself, is that this actually opens us up for God to be God and for Jesus to do what only Jesus can do. It's not hopeless, it's the opposite. Jesus looks at them, verse 27, and he says, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. 
Because with God, all things are possible. The reality is in the big picture of this whole story with the rich young ruler, it's not to paint a picture that says you're not good enough. You'll never be good enough. No, the whole point of the story is that there is nothing that you and I can do to be good enough. But the beauty of Jesus is that Jesus pays the price so we don't have to be good enough. Because he was good enough. Come on, somebody. Jesus paid it all. His words here are a foreshadow to the cross. And on the cross, Jesus would make this abundantly clear. Because it was on the cross that Jesus bore our sin, that Jesus bore our shame. It was on the cross when he hung there, he said, you no longer have to strive to be good enough. I'm good enough. I love how Paul puts it in Ephesians. He says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. The reason it has to all be God is so no one can boast. Because if there was some way that we could attain salvation, all it would do would make us think we're better than other people. But when we understand at the foot of the cross, everyone is equal. We all fall short. No one is good enough. Only God is good. It puts us on the same playing field. It's by grace that we're saved. It's by Jesus. It's only because of God. Listen to this. What religion is, what religiosity is, religion says, this is what I have to do. You want to know what separates Christianity from every other religion in the world? Christianity is the only religion that does not say do, it says done. Because of Jesus. Jesus has finished the work. And if we put our trust in him, if we put our hope in him, we are saved. Salvation is in the name of Jesus. Religion says do, Jesus says done. Our culture says it's all on you. Everything you have coming is because of you. Jesus says no, it's because of me. It's because of me. That's who Jesus is. Can I speak to a moment for those of us? We've been burnt by religion in the past. We've been burnt by church in the past. I pray you're watching this morning. I pray you're here. And you said to yourself, man, I walked away from God years ago. But what if you didn't walk away from God? What if you walked away from a picture, a premise, you thought God was but what if through Jesus God is even better than you ever thought he was listen I know there are so many people that have walked away because they felt like they were not good enough because they felt the pressure of trying to perform the pressure of trying to be perfect but the beauty of Jesus Jesus says come to me all who are heavy all who have burdens and I will give you rest I'll take you I'll walk with you Listen, you want to know why so many of us get confused about God? It's because we tried to make God in our image. We tried to make God in the image of what's around us. And what's around us says, do, 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 do. Work, work, work. My worth is found in my work. But Jesus says our worth is found in the cross. And on the cross, Jesus said you're worth it. On the cross, he gave us everything. So the premise that this rich young ruler got wrong 
was that there is something that I must do to inherit eternal life. When the reality is it's given to us through Jesus. But I want to go back because there's actually two false premises. You see, the first false premise was that there's something that you have to do to attain salvation. The second false premise is that my life and the purpose of my life is to be saved and is to have salvation. But I love what Jesus says because after Jesus says, sell everything you have and give it to the poor, he says, then come and follow me. He says, come and follow me. Do you want to know why so many people have a hard time accepting Christianity? It's because they have this belief that Christians just live for a far and distant utopia. Well, I'm just trying to get to heaven. I'm just passing by. The reality of Jesus and the reality of the kingdom that he ushered here on earth is that the call of our lives is not to try and get to heaven. That's not our purpose. Our purpose is to follow Jesus. And when we follow Jesus, the byproduct of following Jesus is salvation. But it's not just salvation for the future, salvation for when we die. It's salvation for today. Jesus wants to give you hope for today, healing from your yesterday. He wants it here and now. He says, come and follow me. He says, come and follow me. You see, the reality of our lives is this. Our our plight in life is not to try and be successful. It's not to try and get somewhere, to attain salvation, to attain fame, to attain worth, to attain our name. Our job in life is not to be successful. It's simply to be faithful. And to say, Jesus, I want to follow you. If you're really that good, if Jesus really took my place, if I don't have to perform, if I am am secure in him, I want to follow him. I want to follow him all the days of my life. I want to give him my everything. That's who Jesus is. And I'm trying to paint this the clearest picture, and I know I told you I'm flawed, so if it's not clear, man, I want to make it clear. Connect with us. We would love to tell you who Jesus is. But right here, right now, listen, for those who are watching at home, for those, if you're in Kingdom Church right now watching this, we love you. Why don't you stand with us? At home, why don't you close your eyes? We just want to give everyone the opportunity to respond to Jesus. To say today, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to give you my everything. If that's you right now, wherever you are, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. If you're at home, just open your hands up. Let's just pray this prayer together. Let's invite Jesus into our lives. Just say, dear Jesus, I need you. I need you now more than ever. I give you my everything. I give you my wins and I give you my sins. Make me a new creation. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, why don't we pray together? God, thank you so much for who you are. And God, I pray that for anyone whose picture of you is murky, it becomes crystal clear. We love you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for listening to that message. We hope it was something that you needed to hear. If you want more information, if you made a decision to follow Jesus, head over to kingdomchurch.ca slash connect. We'd love to get in touch with you. Until next time, take care.